Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. What I want to talk to you uh, tonight, I'm going to be continuing basically on the same theme that we have been on for the last couple of weeks. But today I want to emphasize something that I had seen, although I have known it, it, the way that the Spirit of God revealed it to me this week. It was like I have seen it in another dimension. I have seen it clearer than ever before. And it is the multidimensional knowledge of God. The multidimensional knowledge of God. And as we move uh, into the lesson today, I pray that I will be able to explain what I mean by the multidimensional knowledge of God. And so let us read our foundational scripture for today's lesson, taken from Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise men glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty men glory in his might, nor let the rich men glory in his riches. But let him who glory, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight says the Lord. That is powerful. If we're going to glory, the Word of God says, we glory in that we know and we understand God, that He is a God who exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. And so, as I mentioned to you for a couple of weeks now, we have been ministering to you on what I believe God's Spirit is saying to the church at this present hour and what is at the top of His agenda regarding the times that we are living in. What is God saying? What is God doing? Uh, what is His main concern at this time for the body of Christ? And so I'm going to be sharing with you what I have been hearing and discerning from the Spirit of God this week as I continue to press in and to seek and search the heart of God in prayer, not just for myself and for our spiritual family, but also for the wider body of Christ. I guess you know this by now, that my ministry to the body of Christ is primarily prophetic. It is also pastoral at times, such as yourselves, I pastor and I shepherd many of you, but primarily my ministry is prophetic. And the primary purpose, I'm going to share with you a little bit about the prophetic ministry so that you can understand it better. 
the primary purpose of the New Testament prophet is to receive God's message and communicate it to the church. He is what they call the seer. He sees in the spirit. He hears in the spirit. And he is God's mouthpiece helping the church to navigate the times that we are in. The primary gifts of the spirit that operate in a prophetic ministry is the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, and the gift of um, understanding and discerning of spirits. These are the primary ministry gifts that operate in the prophetic ministry. Now, at times, the urgency of such a calling, the prophetic calling, places such a heavy burden on this type of ministry because it sees into the realm of the Spirit and understands the true state of the church as well as the direction in which the church should go. The New Testament prophet emphasizes continually in his message repentance, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and continues to call God's people back to the heart of God. And the office of the prophet often clashes with the office of the pastor because the message he carries confronts and unsettles the congregation. It is a, often a confrontational message. The pastoral ministry is primarily merciful, compassionate, and caring towards God's people. And often the pastor sides with the people at the expense of grieving the spirit. If you want to see an example of this, take a look at Aaron, the Old Testament, who is a type of a pastor in the New Testament. At the bottom of the mountain, and Moses was up at the top of the mountain listening to the Lord. And when Moses came down from the mountain, he was furious because Aaron gave in to the desires of the people he was manipulated and forced by the people and he allowed them to build the golden calf and worship it. And you know the outcome of that. As a result, God's judgment came upon them and thousands died that day. Being with the people, the pastor being with the people all the time can easily twist one's perception. Pastors need to take time away from the people and give the Lord an opportunity to minister to them and to speak to them. I have watched pastors over the years when, particularly when I'm invited to minister in the congregation and I bring a prophetic message, they're very uncomfortable. They squirm in the seats because they are, uh, how can I put it, fearful that I may say something that's going to chase somebody away from the fellowship. And this is the reason I believe that every pastor needs a prophet by his side 
to protect him from the manipulation of the people, as well as protect the people from an austere and controlling pastor. Now, all of the five gifts that are listed in Ephesians chapter 4, given to the church, must work together to edify and build up the body of Christ, and each gift must make room for the other gifts so that, um, that the body can be balanced in its perspective, in its outlook, in the teaching that we give. And so we need to understand, particularly the fivefold ministers, the value of the different gifts in Ephesians chapter 4. And I said all that to help you understand the ministry of the prophet so that when I minister under that anointing, you know where I'm coming from. And if I sound, how can I put it, heavy at times or confrontational, please try not to get offended. Maintain an unoffended heart. Are we good? Praise God. I trust you, 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 you understand where I'm coming from. Now, having said all of that, I want to go on by sharing with you uh, the very things that I have heard all week. As the Lord keeps waking me up in the early, early hours of the morning, and I keep pressing into his presence, praying and seeking God in the spirit, endeavoring to hear and to understand what is God saying to us in this present time? What are his expectations from us? What are his desires? What are his plans and purposes for us as a fellowship, but also as a wider body of Christ? So when we say, that the Lord is calling us to go deeper and further than we have been before. What do we actually mean by that? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I believe the Spirit of God is calling us, you and me, the body of Christ, to greater intimacy with the Lord. He desires to have intimacy and fellowship with you and I. He craves for it. He longs for it. He's calling us into deeper dimensions of the knowledge of God. I believe there is nothing more valuable in the universe than the knowledge of God. Nothing is worth more the knowing and understanding God intimately and loving Him passionately. Because the more you know Him, the more you will love Him. You cannot help it. What we need most is to grow in all the dimensions of knowing God intimately and have a broader understanding of His nature and of His character. Many in the church today are struggling. Struggling to keep their head above water because the knowledge they have of God is shallow. It is insufficient to cope what, with what they are dealing with. 
and it is only in one or two dimensions, the knowledge they have. They overcome by fears. But God has not given us the spirit of fear, no matter what goes on in our lives. There is no room for the disciple of Christ to fear anything because God has not given us that spirit, but he has given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we ought to resist fear. But if the knowledge we have of God is not sufficient, fear will overcome us. Others are struggling with anxiety, unrest. Others are drowned in depression while others are captive to spirits of rejection, feeling insecure. But Jesus, as you and I know, paid a high price to set us free from all of these diabolical influences. He called us to walk on the water and not drown in it. Please hear what I'm about to say in the next few minutes because the revelation I'm going to be sharing with you came after many hours of prayer and sleepless nights. That's why I said I've seen it in a clearer way than I've ever seen it before. The only way we can walk above all of these negative influences and be productive and fruitful in the kingdom of God is to have a multidimensional knowledge of God. Let me explain what I mean by multidimensional knowledge. All of us know the Lord as our Savior. Amen? The one who saved us from our sins, the one who delivered us from the fires of hell. This is just one of the many dimensions of knowing God as our Savior, as the one who forgave all of our sins. But that is not enough. We must press on to know and to understand and experience the Lord in all of his splendor and knowledge. There are many facets to the knowledge of God, many dimensions. Many others know the Lord as the one who heals, the Lord my healer, because they have been healed at one time or another, and they've experienced the healing power of God. Praise the Lord. He is our healer. But that is not enough. Others know him as one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit, and still others know him as a wonderful provider because they have experienced all of these dimensions. The Lord, my Savior, the Lord, my healer, the Lord, my provider, the one who baptizes me in the Holy Spirit. They've experienced, we've experienced all of that. But here is what I want to emphasize. There are many dimensions more to know, to understand and experience from God our Father. And this is what I mean when I say the multidimensional knowledge of God. Let me share a little bit about my story, my testimony along these lines to help you understand even further the truth that I'm emphasizing today. The two most powerful revelations I received from the Spirit were 
The first one, knowing God as a loving father who loved and accepted me unconditionally. And the other, it was when I knew and I had a revelation that Jesus Christ is my righteousness. The first one, knowing God as a loving father, delivered me from an orphan spirit. Just like that. I didn't struggle. I didn't try to be delivered. The moment the truth hit my mind, my spirit, and I received revelation that God loves me as a father unconditionally, he is my loving father and I am his child. I've been accepted in the beloved. That moment, the spirit of, of the orphan spirit just left my life. Never again did I feel as an orphan. And the other delivered me, knowing Jesus as my righteousness, delivered me from a spirit of legalism, which brought much condemnation to my heart for a long, long time. I struggled under the yoke of this legalistic spirit for a long time. No matter how much I prayed, it wasn't enough. No matter how much I read my Bible, how much I fasted, it wasn't enough. And I felt condemned. But when I realized when I knew that Jesus is my very own righteousness, that I am the righteousness of God in Christ, that I have a right relationship, not because of what I do, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, that spirit of legalism was broken over my life. You see, the knowledge of each dimension of knowledge of God sets us free from certain um, from certain things that we have been struggling with. That's why I say that the knowledge of God is the most precious and the most valuable commodity in the universe. To know God in all of his dimensions. To know God as a savior, as a healer, as a provider, to know him as the one who baptizes, to know him as our righteousness, to know him as our peace. Now, Proverbs 28 and verse 1, when I said that the moment I knew the Lord Jesus as my righteousness, I've come to know him as such, I became very bold and courageous in the face of accusations and, and approaching my heavenly Father, no longer feeling condemned. I would come boldly to the throne of grace because I knew who I was in Christ. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. When you know who you are, the righteousness of God, not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, you become very bold and courageous. What made the difference? The knowledge of Jesus as my righteousness. Amen. This is the righteousness that Paul speaks about, which is obtained by faith in Christ and not by our own works. Knowing God as a loving father, 
healed and restored my soul from rejection, from loneliness, and from the spirit of rebellion, orphan heart. Now, this is the thrust of my message today. He wants us to know him in all of the dimensions of his nature and character. And when I say no, I'm not talking about head knowledge. I am speaking about experiential knowledge. I'm talking about revelation knowledge. Jesus said, upon this rock, referring to the revelation that Peter had, I will build my church. Revelation knowledge builds us up. Revelation knowledge strengthens us, makes us bold and courageous, delivers us from diabolical influences. That is why we should seek far above all to know him in all of his splendor, in all of his glory. Now, when we know him as such, the Lord gave me three words. He said, we become impregnable, unconquerable, and irresistible to the world. It is like he clothes us with his glory and with his majesty. When we move deeper into the realms of knowledge that I'm talking about. Now, having said that, I want to emphasize that the dimension of knowledge the Spirit is calling for in this hour, hear me, is the dimension of knowing Jesus as Lord. I want to say that again. The dimension that the Spirit of God is calling us into in this present hour is to know Jesus as our Lord, to experience His Lordship over every sphere of our lives. We may know Him as a Savior. We may know Him as a healer. We may know Him in all these other dimensions. But listen. If we do not experience him as Lord over our lives, we will never come to the place where we are fully submitted, fully surrendered, and fully obedient to him. We will choose what part of his word we will obey and what part we won't obey. And listen, Jesus can be our Savior and yet is not our Lord. And many in the church today know Jesus as their Savior, but they do not know him. They have not experienced him as the Lord of their lives. Amen? Do you agree with me? Is that the truth? Hello? Praise God. You see, the Lord will only receive from us what we joyfully give him. He will rule and reign only what we yield to him and no more. Now, those who know Jesus as Lord understand they have a revelation that they no longer belong to themselves, but to him who died for them 
and rose again to set them free from themselves so they could serve the king and his kingdom. They're not their own. They know that. They have a revelation. They don't make independent decisions. They don't make their own plans. They come to God in humility, in sincerity, and say, Lord, what is your plan for my life? How do I deal with this situation? What do you want me to do? You are the Lord. I acknowledge you as Lord. They do not lean on their own understanding. They acknowledge the Lord in all of their activities. And the Lord directs their paths. Let's look at this verse of scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. There it is. We are not our own. If you know Jesus as your Lord, if you have uh, asked him to, to reign over your life, if you presented your body to him as a living sacrifice, you know that you are his. You don't belong to yourself. Amen? These disciples who know Jesus as Lord, and we're not, we're not there yet, but we strive, as Paul says, I press on to know Christ as such, to know him and the power of his resurrection. And then he goes on to say, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That's why in another place to the Corinthians, he said, I die daily so that Christ may live and manifest his life through this mortal body. The disciples who know Jesus as Lord have experienced and are experiencing him as Lord. They follow the Lord closely wherever he leads. And as I said, they don't make their own plans. No independent decisions without consulting with the Lord. They have renounced ownership of themselves and their possessions. And they have embraced stewardship. They know that they are stewards. Stewards of their own time, stewards of their, of their life, stewards of their possessions and everything they have and everything they own. Everything belongs to Jesus. Somebody calls you and says, uh, I'm coming down in your city. Can I come and stay with you for a few days? Instead of saying yes or no or what, and say, Lord, somebody wants to come and stay within your house for a few days. What do you say? It's his house. It's his car. It's his possessions. We are the stewards. And those who know Jesus as Lord have renounced ownership. I'm not the owner. I'm just the steward. And I steward what belongs to the Lord. And they strive by the Spirit to constantly yield to His Lordship so that Jesus may exercise dominion over the mind, over what they see, 
Lord of what I see, Lord of what I hear, Lord of what I think, Lord of what I say, and Lord of what I desire. You are the Lord. You reign supreme in my life because I've yielded myself to you and presented my body to you as a living sacrifice. Furthermore, when we know Jesus as Lord, not just a Savior, we begin to love what he loves and we also hate what he hates. We, our heart breaks with what breaks Jesus' heart. In other words, we fully consecrate it to God and we set apart for him and for his purposes. And let me say this, such excellence of knowledge, such experiential knowledge does not come without a cost. And we need to realize that. It will cost us dearly, but the hunger within our hearts to know him as such, the strong desire that is birthed by the Holy Spirit within us, as we, as we seek the Lord, will overcome every obstacle that stands in our way for such a depth of revelation knowledge. Paul said that such knowledge is worth sacrificing everything in order to obtain this excellence of knowledge. And listen to what he said to the believers. This is his testimony in Philip, in, uh, to the church in Philippi. Philippi chapter three, uh, Philippians chapter three, verse seven through to 11. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. As you can see in Paul's words, he had this burning desire to know Christ in all the dimensions of his glory and splendor. For this excellence of knowledge, he said, he suffered the loss of all things. The things that he relied on, his education, his ethnicity, where he came from, the things that he knew, the things that he was taught, even his own identity as a, as a staunch Jewish um, uh, Pharisee. He said he, 
he, he suffered the loss and he counted all of that, all of the things that he gained, he counted them as rubbish cons, con, um, in comparison to the excellent knowledge of knowing Jesus as Lord in all of his splendor and glory. And then he goes on to say that, he said, I haven't reached there yet, but I am pressing on. There was nothing complacent about Paul. This hunger, this thirst to know Christ in all of his splendor, empowered him to press in and to press on despite all of the opposition, the obstacles that he found in his way to know him and to know the power of his resurrection, he said, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, the mindset of many believers today is what can I gain rather than enduring loss and self-denial in order to gain the kind of knowledge that Paul describes in his testimony. And that is exactly what Jesus said to those who desired discipleship. He said, if you want to be my disciple, in uh, Luke, Luke's Gospel 14.33, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. What does he mean, forsake all that he has? What I just said earlier, renounce ownership and embrace stewardship. That's what he means. Notice that Paul also said in Philippians 3.15, Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Now, this is the mind of a mature believer. Let us, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. What mind is that? This is the mind that is willing to suffer loss. This is the mind that never settles, but continues to seek, to knock, and to search the heart of God in order to obtain such such excellence of knowledge. Amen? This is what the Spirit is calling us into. When he says, Spirit, lead me deeper, where my trust knows no bounds. He said, let us, let us come upon the waters or something to that. Take us deeper where our feet cannot wander where our faith will grow stronger. And I believe, I believe when we sing this song, we are echoing what the Spirit is singing over the church right now. Come on deeper, come on up higher, for there is much more that I want to show you, much more that I want to reveal to you, much more that I want to, I want to accomplish through you. Michael spoke this morning about God is not through with us yet. 
is not finished with us. There's much more that he desires to give us, to show us, to reveal to us another facet of his, of his, of his, of his glory and splendor, of his nature and character that we do not know yet or we have not experienced yet. And so the, 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 there's a call upon the church to arise. As a prophetic utterance in Isaiah chapter 60 that says, Arise and shine, for the glory of the Lord has come. His glory will rise over you, even though darkness will cover the nations and the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory shall be seen in you and nations shall come to the brightness of your rising. Whenever the scripture says arise, whenever the word says awake, he's talking about prayer, persevering prayer. Prayer that gets hold of God and refuses to let him go until he blesses us, until he takes us further than we have ever been. And when we seek him with such fervency, with such zeal, with such passion, the next thing that's going to happen, the Spirit of God will begin to give you new instructions. And as you step out in obedience to those Spirit-filled instructions, you will see the majesty of God and miracles taking place, doors opening before us, favor being showered upon us, touching people's lives like we've never touched before. The Spirit will give us guidance and instruction when we fervently seek Him. Amen. That is what I'm hearing from God. He's calling you and I to arise. You know, I would get up in the morning and in the morning, very early in the morning, I just, your flesh doesn't feel like praying. The last thing you want to do is pray. But you know, we must learn to subdue the flesh. And in, I feel physically just there's nothing in me. What am I going to pray? But the moment I say to the Spirit, Spirit, I present my body to you as a living sacrifice. Lord, you live in me and I am in you. And I have no strength of my own. I cannot do this. I'm depending upon you. And I step out in faith and I open my mouth and I begin to pray in the Spirit. And within a few moments, there is a fire within my belly. There is an energy that sweeps over me and I, and I am into the Spirit, praying, seeking God, knocking on His door. And things begin to happen and revelation comes and understanding comes of the things that I'm praying for and seeking God. And then I'm ready to run. I'm ready for the day. I'm ready, I'm ready to take on the challenges. Listen. A Sunday gathering, no matter how good it is. A pastor's preaching, no matter how good it is. No matter who you listen to. Is no substitute for having a personal encounter with God in your own private closet. 
And if you are never drawn into that place, yeah, you will not experience what I'm saying. It will be foreign to you. And last week I shared with you how Isaiah said, with my soul I've desired you in the night, but by my spirit within me I will seek you early. And so the, the, there is a time when we, we need to arise and we need to awake and allow the spirit to take hold of us because it is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so this kind of knowledge that Paul refers to, I believe, is the pearl of great price that Jesus spoke about in one of his parables. Listen to what he said. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Praise God forevermore. He is our pearl of great price. And to know him and to understand his ways and to experience his glorious presence in our lives, there is nothing more precious, there is nothing more valuable than his presence in our lives. Amen. And that is what I believe the Spirit of God is knocking, knocking and knocking on the door of our hearts and saying, wake up, arise, for I want to take you places you have not been before. I want to show you things you have not seen before. And I want you to hear things from my mouth, not from any man's mouth, from my mouth that you have not heard before. Let's go. Follow me. Where, Lord? Where I lead you deeper, deeper and deeper into his presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Spirit's call upon our lives. I thank you that you reveal to us the desire of your heart to have fellowship and intimacy with us. To know you in a dimension we have not known you before. So that you may exercise sovereignty and rulership over our lives, every sphere of our lives. And today we humbly come to you. And we ask that you would help us blessed spirit so that we may receive jesus the lord of lords and the king of kings as our lord that we may experience his lordship in a new dimension that he may reign over what we see what we hear what we say what we think and what we desire that is the desire, Lord, of my heart, and I trust it is the desire of all of our hearts to know you as such, to experience you as Lord over every sphere of our lives. We thank you, Blessed Spirit, for this is impossible for us to do, 
but we trust and we rely upon you that step by step you would guide us into that place where we would experience the joy and the peace that you offer so that we can be more useful and more productive to the kingdom of God, that we become more fruitful in what we say, what we do, that lives may be attracted to you because of our surrender and our commitment to you as the Lord over our lives. We bless you today, and we thank you for this precious word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.